Why is a helmet important to a football player or a soldier? What about a helmet for the follower of Jesus Christ? Welcome to Truth Encounter, and let me encourage you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 17 to 18, as Dave Wordson discusses our helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and what all this has to do with our daily prayers. I want to talk to you this morning about helmets. Helmets are really important. This is a helmet. If you're a Harley rider, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're a Harley rider, you don't like to wear one of these. You like to go streaming, screaming down the road with that big old Harley rumbling and your hair flowing out because you still have that big long hair in the back. And your idea is that, you know, you love the war, you love the wind in your hair. The tragedy is if you have anyone come out in front of you and you have to lay that bike down, and you hit the pavement going about 65 miles an hour, it's not going to be a good scene. In fact, one of the things that convinces me about helmets is that uh, often I've hit the water going 40, 42 miles an hour. I heard a guy uh, yesterday that for 12 years he skied professionally. He talked about all the broken ribs he had, all the broken feet he had. He didn't talk about a broken head that he had. He showed some clips. In fact, he showed some clips of doing barefoot water skiing, which is where you put the rope between your legs and you go over like that and you yell, hit. You don't really yell, hit it. When you stick your head in the water, he figures go. And then you spread your legs out for the shoreline and he takes off and you try to get up on your feet. But man, you fall. And when you fall, you snap your head. You hit your head. It's like hitting concrete. Water gets really hard when you get going about 40 miles an hour. Well, those of you that are motorcycle experts, if water is hard at 40, what do you think concrete is at 65? And that's why Dan and Jeannie always wear these things. In fact, if you look at this helmet, man, look at the, the cushioning inside. Look at how you know, hard this plastic is. I mean, this can really take a direct hit. This is to protect your most valuable part. Uh, I had a firsthand knowledge of the devastation of head injuries the summer that Mary and I were engaged. I was directing Word of Life Ranch. We often did bandit skits, and I told my buddies that I was working with not just to get bandits who were good horsemen, but to get bandits that were quick thinkers and they were good athletes, quick reactors, because when you start shooting a black powder blank pistol on a horse, and these were not nice horses like Pat Riggin rides and stuff. These were horses that we just kind of picked off of Vermont Farm, and you never knew what they were doing. In fact, countless times when I was playing bandit, I'd fire my gun, and that horse would just take off and run you right into the Adirondack woods, right at a three-foot diameter pine tree. And you had to just be ready because right at the last second, he would go on one side of that tree or the other, trying to smash your leg really good, and you had to get your leg off the side of that horse and clear the tree. And the guys forgot about what I said. They got a guy that said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can ride horses, or I can do this, a marvelous 19-year-old kid. He was about six foot two, handsome, could have been a movie star. And he was playing bandit one afternoon, and man, he fired his gun at the good guys, and the sheriff and the deputy started firing shotguns and everything else back at him. His horse spooked. He ran into the woods. Sure enough, that horse started running for a pine tree. And as that horse was running for the pine tree, you know, he was trying to remember what we said. He guessed wrong. And he swung his leg over, 
And he was right on the side, and that horse just plastered his head right into a pine tree. And for the next two hours in the infirmary, Dr. Sawyer came down, and I held that boy's head in my lap as Dr. Sawyer tried to save his life. And by God's grace, Dr. Sawyer got him stabilized, and that boy was in a coma from a head injury for the rest of the summer, and boy, did we pray. But by God's grace, about two and a half months later, he woke up, and I saw his brother at a meeting a few years ago when I did a Bible conference, and I said, how's your brother doing? He said, oh, he's fine, and he's doing really well. If he would have had a helmet, which doesn't look really good when you're playing Cowboys and Indians, but if he would have had a helmet, we would have been okay. I want to ask you this morning, do all of you have a helmet? I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're a football player, you know the importance of a helmet. The Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about a new helmet that had just come out or just a few years in his ministry. And this helmet will give you an idea of what it's like. This is a Roman helmet. The Roman soldier had this helmet. He was guarding the Apostle Paul there in the, in the prison in Rome. In the emperor's Claudius reign, they added this part down the back of your neck to help protect you. So Paul was looking at a a new helmet. And I want to just give you a little bit of an idea that helmets are always progressing. You can see from ancient times, they had helmets that were leather. They had helmets that were made out of material. They had helmets that were made out of bronze. Then they switched to iron. And the helmet was constantly progressing. And you can just see the difference, you know, between this and this. Can you imagine if a Roman warrior would have come out with one of these on? That would have been something. or, Or the new military helmets that we have today. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talked to us about a helmet. And one of the things I want to get across to you is that unlike all these helmets, even the motorcycle helmets are constantly progressing. But I got good news for you today. The helmet that Paul's going to talk about today never needs new engineering. The helmet that the Apostle Paul talks to you today, if you have it on your head, it's going to keep you safe spiritually. Forever and ever and ever. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 is talking in verse 14. Stand firm then, having the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Remember we talked about the first equipment, the first armament is our belt of truth. Then he talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Make sure that is in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from sharing the good news of peace. In addition to all this, we talked last week about taking the shield of faith. We talked about faith, how it it helped us to extinguish all the temptations, all the darts and the arrows that the evil one Satan throws at us. Look at verse 17. That's where we are today. Now take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul talks about the helmet of salvation being the hope of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about you need to receive the helmet of of salvation. First of all, what, what, is this, what is this helmet? Well, you say, well, Dave, how do I get the answer to that? Well, as you go back in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, throughout this entire book, has been talking to us about salvation. You understand the word salvation. We use it religiously, but we also use it all the time. We use it when you talk about someone that needs to be saved. We talk about the fact that they're in a really bad situation. They're in a really bad dangerous situation they're in a deadly situation and they need to be saved so that's the very first thing that salvation involves what's my condition today what's your condition the book of ephesians has been talking about our condition in fact if you turn to chapter 2 verse 11 chapter 2 the apostle paul in a nutshell spells out our condition and he talks about what things were like 
He talked about what it was like before we put this helmet of salvation, before we received this helmet of salvation. Look what he says. Remember that you formerly, you were the Gentiles by birth. Those are non-Jewish people, which most of you would be today. Most of you are not from a Jewish heritage. Most of the Ephesians that were reading this letter weren't from a Jewish heritage. What was their condition? And I want you to stop and think. You're going to go out among people this week. What's their condition? What's going on in their life? Most of my friends think everything is going great. They think we can find the answer. Is that really true? Look what the Apostle Paul said. He says they are the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time, the Apostle Paul is talking to these Ephesians about remember before something really happened in your life, this is what it was like. Remember that at that time you were separated from the Messiah. The word Christ means separated from the Messiah. I want you to stop and think. You live in a world who has Jewish people in it. And there's been Jewish people in the world ever since the time of Abraham. And that goes back about 1,800 years before Christ. And God promised Abraham from the very beginning of God talking to him that he would send a Messiah, an anointed one, a great deliverer. In fact, if you want to go back even further, right after our Adam and Eve, who are our original parents, sinned, God promised them right away that he would send a great male deliverer. Now, you're taught all the time out there in this secular world as you go out this week, you're taught all the time that nobody really knows about God and, and nobody really knows what's coming off and all the religions are the same. I want you to know that that's just not the case. That's just not the case. The big dominant religions of the world are Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And in some ways, they relate to each other and they dominate the thinking of millions upon billions of people. And in all of those great monotheistic faiths, they all go back to Abraham and a promise that God made to Abraham that a great deliverer would come. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that before he came to the city of Ephesus, before he shared the good news with them, they didn't know about that Messiah. They hadn't heard that incredible good news that there's a creator God, there's a personal God that gave you your personality. And this creator God has been revealing himself on planet Earth. He does that through nature, but he also does it through special revelation down through time. And that great creator had been talking to human beings and sharing, I'm going to send a great deliverer. It's the hunger of every one of your hearts. Every one of your hearts want there to be salvation. You want someone to come to deliver you. You say, oh, I don't believe that, man. We're just here Sunday morning and it's kind of a religious thing. Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. Say it with me. Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. Most of you are Republicans, so you're not going to say that with me. (laughs) But I want to share with you, if you listen to the political conventions, the Republicans will do exactly the same thing. They're going to use religious language. They're going to use spiritual language. And you say, well, this is a secular world. We need to divide the spiritual from the secular. You can't. What moves your heart, it's the spiritual. What moves your heart, it's what's deep inside. You're hungry. You want there to be hope. You want there to be a promise. All politicians know that. They always use political language. And I've got good news for you today. Hope isn't on the way. Hope has arrived. Hope is here. Hope is right here. Hope is in my heart. Hope has arrived. It's not on the way. 
It's not something I need to look forward to, although there's a dimension of that. But my Savior has come. He has arrived. Hope has arrived. That's the good news. And that's what the Apostle Paul came and announced in the city of Ephesus. He didn't come and tell them, well, hope is on the way. He says, hope has come. The Messiah has come. You didn't know about the Messiah, but I'm going to tell you about them. And as the Apostle Paul told these Gentile people about these incredible promises that went way back to the children of Israel, and he told them this incredible story about a people that God carved out for himself and made these incredible promises, and then he went on to tell them this incredible good news that that Messiah is not just for Jewish people, but it's for you as well. Their hearts turned over within them, and they responded. The Apostle Paul said you were without the promise. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. In other words, they didn't have any of those promises that I've been sharing with you from the Old Testament. But look what the Apostle Paul said. You were at that time without hope. You were without God in the world. But now the Messiah Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying it's not as that hope is on the way, but he's saying you that used to be without God, without hope, without salvation in the world, now, through the Messiah Jesus, you have now been brought near to God. You have now received salvation. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying this. When he went into the city of Ephesus, he told them about a helmet. He told them about a Savior that could clothe their life. He told them about a savior that could deal with their greatest despair, which is the idea that we live in a world that's so tenuous. No matter what they do in Washington, and if your hope is in the political process, I want to share with you, I was just in Washington. There are enough bureaucratic, executive, judicial, congressional buildings to fill acres upon acres, and no matter who you elect, They won't even find out in those buildings where the right person needs to be contacted. So if you've got hope in the city of Washington, man, it is so covered over the bureaucracy. Good night. If my hope was in this election and what's going to happen, and and so I I want that to go both ways, don't despair as a believer. And we need to be involved. I want all of you to register. I want all of you to to vote. I want all of you to to express yourself and don't sit there and go, my vote doesn't make a difference. Yes, it does. And you're one of God's children. You're responsible to be a good citizen. So vote. Don't be cynical. Don't be negative. But I don't want you to get discouraged. I don't want you to feel like, oh, no, this is the end of the world. This is the end of everything. Because it isn't. Because Jesus has arrived. And all through these months, you can still tell people about Jesus. What do you need to tell them? Jesus is the helmet. Jesus is your head covering. And you put Jesus on your life. You receive that gift from God. When Jesus comes into your life, what happens? Jesus gives you salvation that lasts forever and ever and ever. This helmet right here, if you're a motorcycle rider, will really take care of you. Dan got a good helmet. It's strong. In fact, you could crash into a tree. If you didn't snap your neck, you'd probably be in good shape. You could probably skid across the pavement in this. If I wore this barefoot skiing, it would keep me from getting a lot of headaches and a lot of concussion. And this is real important. The Apostle Paul is closing his book. He's saying that you've received the helmet of salvation. Some of you are trying to make your own helmet. You're trying to be good. 
A lot of your friends are telling you that they're just as good as you are and you need to agree. In fact, what I would tell your friend to tell you that, say, no, no, I'm really worse than you are. Like when they tell you, well, I'm just as good as you are, say, oh, no, you're not. I'm, uh, I'm much worse than you are. And that'll get the conversation where it needs to be. And they, you, they say, what are you talking about? You look like such a good person. They mean, you don't know what's really going on inside of me. I'm, I'm from hell. There's an anger inside of me that's horrible. There's, a, there's an immorality and lust that's horrible. There's a greed. The ones that I love the most, I can get the most angry with, and I bite their head off at the most inopportune times. I am dark. You think dark Vader's bad? I'm really bad. And your friends are going to go, man, you know, I thought you were really a good person. No, I'm not a good person. But you know what? I've met an incredible Savior. And I invited him to come into my life, and he covered me with his salvation. Brethren and sisters, you know, there's something really important about this helmet. I can tell you what this is made out of, great, great insides, all of this stuff. I can tell you all about this helmet. But you know, this helmet doesn't do me any good. This helmet doesn't do any good until I do something really important. There's a whole lot of you that maybe you know all about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus in our culture from the time you've just been a little kid. I can know all the details about this helmet, but until I do this, this helmet does me no good. You gotta, you gotta receive the helmet and then you gotta put it on. And the very first thing is we talk about this helmet of salvation. I want you that know salvation. I want you to know that Jesus is gonna protect you. I want you to know that Jesus is eternal. I want you to know that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. But if you haven't, taken that helmet from God and trusted in Jesus, which is putting it on your head, it's not going to protect you. And you say, well, Dave, what does that involve? Right where you're sitting, right where you're sitting, I've told you about Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the one that one day all the universe is going to applaud and shout and bow before him. He's the one and only mediator between God and man. But during this time of grace, he comes to you, he hands you his promise, he says, I want you to receive me. And you have to make a decision in your own heart to invite him to come into your life. It's not getting church, it's not getting religion, it's not trying to turn over a new life, it's having the person of Jesus take up residence inside your life. That's putting your helmet on. You say, Dave, why are you so excited about Jesus? You know what? Jesus is the only person the only helmet that's strong enough to talk about raging rivers. In fact, death is often compared in the Psalms to a raging river, a raging flood, and the horrors of the waters that overwhelm us and the agony of death. And Jesus is the only person in all the universe that I know that took on that great, great enemy, the curse of death, and conquered it. And what this helmet means is that in our quiet life, whether you're Roman Catholic or whether you're Methodist, whether you're Islamic, whether you're Jewish, it means all over the world that you open your heart to this salvation. And then Jesus gives you the promise that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Only Jesus can make that promise. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He says that we are armed. If you've received Jesus, then you are armed with the helmet of salvation. And as we unite together in the body of Christ, as we go through these next several days, and as some of you are wrestling with a time of grief, it means that Jesus is in your life. 
Jesus is present in your life. One of the most awesome things for me as a pastor teacher is to be able to go into a home where someone really knows Jesus in a situation where I think there won't be any comfort and there won't be any light and there won't be any hope and I'll, and I'll see that Jesus has arrived, that Jesus is there and he's bringing, sure there's grief and there's tears, but I also see Jesus bringing love and I see him bringing hope and I see him bringing a future and a promise. That's what this helmet of salvation is about. Whatever problem you might be facing, last week the Lord really touched several of that in their marriages and, and some that were really in despair. And, and what this helmet of salvation means is that Jesus, when we open our hearts to him, come to live inside of us and he protects us. He protects our head spiritually. And that's the most vulnerable part. And this isn't the idea that somehow the helmet can come off and you'll lose it. The idea of this is that once that helmet of salvation is in place, Jesus is protecting your most vital part the part that you most desperately need to be protected. The Apostle Paul talked about another thing, this, and this is the only offensive weapon that we have in the whole story. And I was going to have a friend of mine that has real um, swords to bring in here today, but he forgot, so I robbed one of Mary's swords that she uses on me. <laughs> and she'll probably use it on me when I'm done today, okay? We talk about this helmet, the helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier had... In this instance, he had a short sword, not one of these great big middle-aged sword, but he had a sword that was a little bit longer than this. This is probably 18 inches. It was about 24 inches, so just a little bit longer. It was double-edged, so it was much more effective, you know, offensive weapon. The Apostle Paul said that he looked at this Roman soldier, looks at the short dagger that he had, this two-foot-long short sword that he had, he said, that reminds him, look back at Ephesians chapter 6, that reminds him to take the sword of the Spirit. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to talk to you about the sword, I want to talk to you about the Spirit, and I want to talk to you about it being the Word of God as we close. First of all, what does it mean that the Word of God is a sword? It was sharp on both edges, very sharp point. It was made out of strong iron that was tempered, and they more and more, as, as time went on, they developed those skills more and more. It was the Roman soldiers. This is what he used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, what's important? I don't really use knives that much, so this knife in my hand is not very effective. In fact, I'm not even a good butcher, okay? Now, some of you are really gifted with knives. In fact, I was raised with guys that would have throwing knives and they would work forever to get it sharp. I can't even get one sharpened right. But some of you, I'm sure in this room, know exactly how to sharpen your knife and your hunting knife is really taken care of. You keep that point sharp. You keep the edges really sharp. When we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the very first thing we need to realize, it needs to be kept sharp. And one of the problems in our life as believers is that we don't keep our sword sharp. Why in our church ministry, why is it that in Iwana we constantly have kids memorizing scripture? We constantly have them sharpening their sword. That's the idea. And those of you that were little kids in Iwana that learned all those verses, those verses keep coming back to you, and that means that you can effectively use the sword. Hebrews says that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is like a double-edged sword. It pierces right to our heart. Now, this is what I want to ask you. This week, has the sword of the Spirit pierced your heart? Now, if you say no, there's, there's some reasons for that. One, 
Some of you haven't picked up your sword at all this week. In other words, some of you, the reality of the matter is, it's been since last Sunday that you read this book. And I don't want you to feel guilty. I just want you to face what's going on in your life. You haven't picked up your sword. And I just want to share with you that you are in a battle and the evil one has been attacking you all this week. And you need your sword in order to defeat him. And one of the things that this sharp two-edged sword does is it pierces right to the depths of my heart. It exposes what's going on. I want to challenge you. Some of you are just barely starting out in your Christian life. And a lot of you are wrestling with this. And I want you not to feel guilty. You don't have to have your degree from Dallas Seminary. You don't have to even be... Some of you moms and dads are scared to death by your little child because they can quote all the books of the Bible. And I heard a mom give their testimony yesterday at a meeting where her little child had learned all the books of the Bible and, and she heard her little child saying those and that's how she's able to find things. But some of you as mom and dad are intimidated because you're kids, you feel like, well, they're getting to know more than I do. And so then that feeling of, well, I don't really know that much causes you to get discouraged. You don't need to be discouraged, but you need to open this book. How many of you find that it's hard for you to have a consistent time reading God's word and praying every day. I struggle with that. Anyone that's ever struggled with reading the word of God on a consistent basis, raise your hand. See, everybody's in this together. Why do you struggle? Because you've got a great enemy. You've got a great enemy. And what this enemy knows, if he can keep you from picking up your sword and sharpening it, He's got you. Can you imagine a Roman soldier going to the battlefield and go, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot my sword. He's not going to make it. He's got to have the sword. I want to just challenge you. What you need to do is just begin. You really need to begin. Some of you this morning should decide. I've been thinking about this for year after year after year. But this morning, I want you to think right now, what's a time in your day? What's a time in your day that you could read the word of God for five or ten minutes. How many of you could find ten minutes in a day to read God's word? All of you can. So right now, think of a time this week. Some of you, you know, you you don't want to get up at 5.30 because you sleep at 5.30. So what you need to do is, instead of watching your favorite program at 9 o'clock, you need to turn off the TV So all of you that are in terrible schedules, you don't have any time, just turn off your TV at 9 o'clock for 10 minutes. That's really about the ads, a few ads. Just a few ads, and just open this book. If you're just beginning, use the book of James. It's very practical. We'll talk to you about some really basic, fundamental things. If you're just beginning, go ahead and read the Living Bible. That'll make it easy to understand or read the message. I don't care what translation you use. If you understand it, begin to read it. I want to challenge you. Just open it up and say, Lord, this is my sword. This is your word. I want you to penetrate my heart. I want you to talk to me. And basically what you want to try to do when you read, and you need to do this in all your reading, you need to do three things. Number one, you first of all want you to ask yourself, what is it saying? And the way you figure out when you're reading what something is saying, you just figure out what the word, if you don't know what a word means, don't be embarrassed, just have a dictionary there. Or ask your wife, and she'll tell you what it means. 
So the very first thing you ask yourself is, what is it saying? That's called observation. Just look at the text. Stay awake for 10 minutes and just look at the text. What is it saying? Second of all, ask yourself, what does it mean? What is the author saying that's observing the text? The second question is, what does it mean that's interpreting the text? What does it mean? And then the third question, which is really important, is what does it mean to me? Which is application. There's three things you want to do when you're listening, when you're reading. And reading is just a form of listening with your eyes and your mind. You ask yourself, what is it saying? That's when you ask all those questions. Who, what, when, how, all those questions you ask. What is it saying? Then what does it mean? And then what does it mean to me? And I would challenge you, in your 10 minutes, try to get one thing, just one thing, that has meaning to you. And then write that down. And then talk to the Lord Jesus about it. Say, Lord, this is what I've learned. And this is what I want you to do. And then just listen to him. And then talk to him. And I guarantee you, if you'll just start doing that consistently this week, it'll pierce your heart. And this sword, if it pierces your heart, will hurt you. But this sword will heal you. Now, how many of you can do that this week? Yeah, you can. You can do that this week. I'm really serious about this. As a Bible church, what we're notorious, you all come and you'll ask me, like, Dave, how did you get that out of the text? And how do you take one verse and you can speak to us for hours and my kids fall asleep and take naps and everything else? How do you do that? It's doing those three things. I just open up the Word of God, and I need to do this too, so you can hold me to account. You can ask me this week if you see me in a restaurant or something, say, Dave, have you been having your time? Because I want to share with you as we close, we are in this together. I actually teach a doctoral course at Dallas Theological Seminary on getting close to God in your personal quiet time. And I wrestle with that. You see, I can be getting ready to speak to you. I can be ministering to you. I can be going to visit people in the hospital. I can be counseling people. But the one thing that the evil one attacks in my life more than anything else is my one-on-one time with Jesus. And that's why pastors blow out. It's why they do bad, crazy things. And so as a congregation, you can really pray for me, help David to spend personal time sharpening his sword and letting that sword penetrate his own heart. And it's just doing something consistently every single day. And you open the text to the book of James, you can take the book of Ephesians. Like we're going to be finishing the book of Ephesians in the next few weeks. So what some of you need to do is just start reading the book of Ephesians several times as we close the book. And if you'll do that, it's going to be amazing what the Holy Spirit starts to do in your life. And what's going to happen on Sunday morning, there's going to be an excitement. As I start to teach you, you're going to be, some of you will butt in on me and say, wait, no, no. Man, this is what the Lord told me. This is awesome. Look, at you, you didn't get that part. This is really important. That's what the Jews did when the Apostle Paul talked in the synagogue. It was back and forth. It was excitement. Because God's Holy Spirit was moving. And that's what my prayer for Melothian Bible Church is. That our helmet of salvation will be firmly protecting our heads eternally. And that we will have the sword of the Spirit unsheathed, sharp, penetrating our hearts so that we in turn can penetrate the hearts of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy to shout out that hope has arrived 
But Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can bring that hope into hearts this morning. Sweet Jesus, I want to pray that your salvation, that a maiden grace, would bring strength, would also bring healing tears, will bring comfort and love. We have a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of us in this room have unanswered questions about some of the, the testings that we've faced. And we ask you, Lord, that the helmet of salvation will make us safe today and cause us to respond to that safety. We want to ask you, Lord, that as we've learned about your word, there's so much more we could say about how you've preserved it through the years, how every single one of your words are breathed out, how it's reliable. And we need to do that, and in coming weeks in our teaching, we will time and time again talk about your word. But as we close today, Lord, I would pray there's nothing more convincing when we have a sword in our hand, if someone's wondering whether or not it's really a sword, whether it's effective, is just to jab them with it. And all those questions, all those doubts are removed. And I want to ask you this week, as we begin to spend just a minimum of 10 minutes alone with you, reading your word, letting you speak to us through your word, I pray, Lord, that that sword of your spirit would unbear our hearts, and penetrate what's there. Bring comfort where comfort's needed. Bring salvation where salvation's needed. Bring forgiveness. Bring the answers to questions. Most of all, bring your presence, O Holy Father. And so now, Lord, we just pray that my brothers and sisters leave this room armed with the Lord Jesus, fully clothed in, in these incredible weapons and protective armaments that you've given to us. That this good news would be so much surrounding our lives that unbelievers would be moved to want to ask us questions about Jesus and to want to get to know our Jesus. And so, Lord, I would ask you, Lord, that if there be anyone here that's never put that helmet on for the first time, help them to do that today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.